Dan Santorum, PTR. I'm Fred Biancos from the USPTA. I'm Carrie Buck from the Los Angeles Tennis Club. I am Juan Garcia from San Diego Tennis Club. I'm Chuck Gill from the club at Ibis in West Palm Beach, Florida. We, we are, are Tennis, tennis Industry, Industry United. Hi, my name is Chris Michalowski, known as Coach Mick of the United States Tennis Association. And I'm Doug Cash, founder of Cashflow Tennis. Welcome to this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. Well, we have a packed episode today and are going to jump around a bit to try to get a handle on the tennis opening in America and what you can expect. And we will discuss the new USTA initiative to aid teaching pros. We'll check in with Mike Woody and Steve Contardi to see how things are going since last week. And we'll be talking a bit more in length with Gene Mills, director of tennis at Polo Club Boca Raton. And we also have some updates for pros who've been taking advantage of the ultimate tennis courses package that the USTA Tennis Pro Task Force released through the efforts of Jorge Capistani. First up, we have news from the Tennis Industry United Initiative. The USTA has just announced the details of the $4 million initiative to help support certified tennis teaching professionals as they seek to recover from the impact of COVID-19. And joining me to explain to particulars and what is involved, Kurt Camperman, Chief Executive of the USTA National Campus. Kurt, welcome and thanks for joining us. How have you been two months into stay at home? I'm anxious to see people on tennis courts. Let's put it that way. Um, I think we've made a lot of progress on developing guidelines for facilities and for players to come back. So as states open up, uh, it'll be exciting for people to get back to the courts. That's for sure. Yeah, and as we've learned, there's some states that are open and some states still that are not allowing any tennis to be played. So that'll be interesting. But we're talking about the tennis pros today who are out there who've been out of work for a while. And the USGA has some grants that are focused on certified tennis teaching professionals. So can you dive into some of the details of this grant? Okay. well, first, the USTA really wanted to try to help those most impacted by COVID-19. And we launched our facility grants a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. Tennis facilities and teaching pros, we really view as the front line of tennis, and they're obviously the most critical component for growing the game, and they've been the ones most impacted by this. So the grant for facilities is to help facilities get back on their feet and help defer some costs for reopening. And then we said, what can we do for teaching pros? And we landed on helping certified pros with their dues renewal. Now, we all know that there's a lot of teaching pros out there that aren't certified, and some of them are very good. They chose not to be certified because they may not need it for their job, or perhaps they were certified at one time, but they let their membership lapse. But we have been working with USPTA and PTR to raise the standards for being a certified tennis professional, and those standards are set to launch January 1, 2021, so we thought this is a perfect time to reward pros out there that have been certified teaching professionals in good standing and are willing to step up to these new standards. Certified tennis professionals in the past hasn't meant all that it should or could be. But moving forward, when we talk to an employer that wants to hire a teaching pro or you talk to the public that wants to hire a teaching pro to improve their game, when you say certified tennis professional, it'll mean three things. It'll mean that certified tennis professional has been safe play trained and has had a background screen. It'll mean that that certified tennis professional has liability insurance. And it'll also mean that the coach and pro working with you is a lifelong learner themselves because 
USPTA and PTR are going to require mandatory continuing education, 15 hours every three years. This is just like every other profession out there. You have to keep up on the latest trends. This will be great face-to-face workshops, great online education, but let's face it, the best teachers and coaches are lifelong learners themselves. And we think those three components, safe play and background checks, liability insurance, ongoing continuing education are sort of the three tenants that make up a really solid tennis teaching professional. Yeah, that makes sense. And initially, even before becoming certified now, they're going to have to go through a lot more extensive training. So these entry level pros are going to know what they're doing when they walk out in the court the first time. Is that right? That is right, Mick. And you know, it's it's interesting. Most every other profession, you do your education before you get certified or licensed. But the reality is, In the U.S., most of the education happens afterwards. There hasn't been a lot of formal training or education, and most importantly, experiential learning that really needs to happen before being a certified tennis professional and putting your shingle out there for the public to come to make sure they have a great experience. So experiential learning, workshops, face-to-face training are all going to be a huge component of becoming a certified tennis professional moving forward. The good news is, while that those standards are going to be significantly increased, we're going to be creating with USPTA and PTR a new level one called Certified Tennis Instructor. Certified Tennis Instructors will have a combination of online education and a great face-to-face two-day workshop called Teaching Essentials One. Teaching Essential One teaches the basics of working with adult or junior beginners, the basics of teaching tennis. And we think working with especially new players is one of the most important things teaching pros do. In addition to that workshop, They'll also be required to be safe play compliant, have a background check, have a first aid course, CPR, and some other core online education. It'll be about a 30-hour program. So actually, the certified tennis instructor will actually be better pre-certification training and education than the previous certified tennis professional levels. That's the first thought that went through my mind is that sound, it's more intense than becoming what becoming a certified pro was a year ago. That's right. But let's face it, 30 hours with a combination of face-to-face, really solid hands-on training and then online education, that's very doable. Even if you're a seasonal pro or you're just starting out, that's step one. And then you can work from there. Let's face it, the best kind of learning for being a tennis professional is on-the-job training, like, like most skills. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, and from what I understand, especially in TE1, and this is, I know, what directors and owners are looking for are pros with good people skills. And I think TE1 focuses mainly on those communication skills and working with adults and players on court. Is that correct? That's correct. And and it does focus, to your point, on some of the soft skills. You know, let's face it, tennis, like golf and some other sports, can be a little intimidating for new people coming into the sport. So it's that rapport you can develop with your students. It's, it's just sometimes it's not what you say, but how you say it. I mean, so that is definitely those intangibles that make for really good professionals. 
you know, and I'm excited about that being a director for 30 years, because now I know if I'm hiring someone that's certified, I'm getting someone that is going to be real good because that was one of my problems and many problems of directors, even though you had that certification behind you, it really didn't mean you knew your stuff and you were a good pro. So you had to bring them over to your club and watch them pretty much do everything to make sure they were on the up and up. You're, you're exactly right. It was really hard to understand what it stood for. You'd look at their playing experience and many were very good players, but that didn't mean they had the experience or training to be a good coach or to oversee a, a suite of programs at a facility that's got multiple pros. So, Kurt, besides being a member in good standing with the PTR or the USPTA, what else is involved for receiving this grant? Well, we're requiring that every certified tennis professional be safe play trained and have a background check. We are also going to insist that they have a percentage of their continuing education requirements done. And we're going to also ask that they help us rebuild our player base by offering introductory programs for either adults or kids in 2021. That's a good faith gesture on their part because for getting your dues paid for, we're asking you give something back to the game by bringing in new players. And, and also, we know when we bring in new players, we bring in new consumers. And new players happen to be the most avid consumers within our sport. And they're the ones that grow the game anyway. And so it's just like secondhand for them to bring in new players for sure. Absolutely. So, Kurt, I'm a tennis pro and I'm excited about this. And I really appreciate all the help the USTA is doing uh, to support what I'm doing. How do I apply for this grant? The application happens as part of your membership renewal with either organization. So if you're a PTR member, I believe their calendar year begins September 1. So when it comes time for your dues renewal, they'll want to see that you're safe play trained, your background check is in, you've met your continuing education requirement as part of your renewal. USPTA the same, USPTA is on a calendar year. so. Even though their year starts January 1, we're looking to have all this done by October 1. So, Kurt, is this part of the USTA's strategic initiative to lead industry-wide improvements to the tennis delivery system, provider education, and consumer experience? Absolutely. It's uh, our strategy B. Our, our first strategy is to attract and engage and retain, and those are key words, attract, engage, and retain a new generation of diverse tennis participants. Now, the only way we're gonna do that is to improve the consumer experience. And that's strategy B that you just alluded to. If we can't improve the on-court experience, we have no chance to bring in new players, expose them to tennis, keep them in the game, and keep them playing. You know, today, kids and adults can with their phone have a digital experience that is unbelievable. So we have to deliver the sport in a way at a level that they're used to with their phones and their computer screens. If we can't improve that on-court experience, especially for those coming into the game, there's no chance of us retaining them. I mean, let's face it, a nine-year-old kid today had a iPad at two and a cell phone at six and he's not going to stand in a line of six and wait to hit a ball every two minutes. It's just not going to work that way. We have to make that on-court experience be competitive with the experience they get online. And I think that's going to be part of the new uh, education and training for tennis professionals as well as being able to utilize all those tools in a way that makes sense for the players on court. 
That, that's a great point, Mick. I mean, you have a, a typical 10 year old or 12 year old and they're taking they're playing tennis three days a week. If you're not engaging them in their virtual world in between those lessons, we're going to lose them to Foursquare or some other online game. We've got to make tennis the experience on court better, and we've got to be able to keep them engaged off court with tennis online activities. Yeah, so it sounds like it's not just a weekly or bi-weekly appointment anymore. It's a continued relationship, encouraging them to continue on in the sport. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, people say that teenagers are on their phone eight to 12 hours a day. So if they're only playing tennis an hour or an hour and a half, three times a week, I don't like our odds if we can't get into part of that eight to 12 hours each day. Well, that makes a lot of sense, Kurt. And again, we appreciate your time. There's a lot of important detail to be concerned with and too much to explain in a few minutes as our country reopens and tennis resumes. Do you have any final thoughts? I think that tennis is going to come out of this stronger than ever. I think that tennis is a made for social distancing. Unless you're the Bryan brothers doing chest bumps <laughs> and high fives, you're not running into your doubles partner. You're 78 feet away from someone when you're returning serve. Even clinics, we have a phenomenal sport. It's the best lifetime sport you can play. It's a safe sport, no head injuries. We're not a contact sport, so we're not swapping sweat on every play. I think tennis is going to come out of this very strong, and I'm especially excited about the fact that we're going to have a new army of tennis professionals, well-trained and really able to attract, engage, and retain players of every type moving forward. I like our chances. Kurt, again, thanks for joining us. Stay safe, and we look forward to seeing you and everyone else safely on court again. And a reminder, everything you need to know about this grant can be found on TennisIndustryUnited.com. Thanks again, Kurt. Thank you. Sounds like a great initiative, and don't forget to apply through either the PTR or the USPTA after October 15th. Last week, we talked to Mike Whitty, who is the National Director of Tennis for Genesis Health Club's based out of Kansas City in Wichita, Kansas, and he had opened five of his clubs. We're going to get an update on that and find out what the next week looks like as he opens more clubs. Mike, thanks for joining us for this update. Thank you, gentlemen. Whew, a lot of work going on. Whew. Yeah, it sounds like last week, Mike, you had four clubs opening up. Now, how many more clubs do you have opening up in the near future? So, yeah, and those clubs being tennis-specific clubs. So Genesis has 50 clubs. So actually we opened, I think it was eight or nine clubs um, a week and a half ago. Uh, Friday, coming up here tomorrow, we're going to open up approximately another 10 and then another 21 on Monday. So there's a lot of things that are happening all at one time, and it's, um, it's been exciting. Um, there's been some surprises and um, also some um, learning points that I think will um, help us as we open our other clubs, but also help other uh, tennis clubs as they're starting to think about opening. Well, Mike, what were the surprises? I can't tell you here. No, um, I can't. <laughs> uh, no, the surprises are, I think, one, um, the people that are coming out, um, they, they are really excited about playing. Um, they're very patient, they're flexible, um, and everybody comes at it with different um, 
I guess, risk aversions uh, to, to COVID. So, and we've said, you know, these are the protocols that we have to follow, we need to follow based on CDC guidelines, and they're following them. Whether they agree with them or disagree with them or support them, I, th I think that's key. I think many of our members were very appreciative. The commitment we made to provide a safe environment for them to play and um, the other is I, I think a lot of it was up to the pro on how much they pre-communicated to members on how much um, you know what we were doing to give them a level set of the safety factors that were in place so we weren't trying to sell or convince people that they should come out it's just informing them what we're doing and then it's up to their choice to decide if they want to come out. So um, that, that's that been really some of the surprises. And I think uh, I'll share in a second, too, of the survey we did of one of our clubs that's opening next week. And we'll see if we can prove the survey right. Did your usage increase from week one to week two? It did. And, it, and I would say it, it the exact number, um, I'm not – not totally sure, but I'm going to say it was about 10 to 15 percent. And I'm just basing that on number of hours taught and just seeing the revenue piece. Um, that, that's been part of our challenge is we're, we're moving fast and we're fairly thin, so I don't have a, a good statistician to give me all the results. But um, it's, it's more about, um, you know, for us, it's, it's number of lessons and, and looking at court utilization. Hey, Mike, now, was it the same people from the first week just you, just utilizing the club more, or were there more people coming in? More more add-ins. Um, again, these were a couple of our smaller clubs. Um, you know, again, when you have – we have 13, 13 clubs, and each of them have a set of challenges, and these the, – well, actually, all four of them have a unique set of challenges to them. One's outside, and the weather nailed us, so – it's not really a fair representation. Another one, um, just from a staffing point, a couple of the members didn't come back. Um, one, um, one wasn't ready to, and another one got sick. Not, not, we, it wasn't COVID sick, we don't think, but just um, couldn't come back out onto the courts yet. So we are asking our staff that if they feel sick or they don't feel well, you know, they just need to stay at home. So. Um, that's why we're, we're pretty excited about Monday because I think it'll be a real telltale sign at some of our bigger clubs, our higher usage clubs. Uh, so that'll, that'll be really important to us. Mike, what kind of programming have you been doing? The, the first week we did, we left it pretty um, open in that, uh, you know, call the people that you um, had been doing. Some of our pros had been out there and kind of, dabbling in some lessons outside the club on their own and so you know call those people back in your your you know your direct contacts the people you know that feel very comfortable just to kind of get things going because the first thing's the hesitancy you know uh, what I can do what I can't do and all of that what I found that the pros once they got on the court starting to teach and and get used to the protocols that we were doing uh, they were fine so um, you know, those were the those are the people we got out the first week, and then from a programming perspective, the second week we're right in the midst of um, relaunching some of our junior programs. So instead of calling a junior program, 
we just called it junior groups because the junior groups would come out specific to a court and uh, we're limiting it to four four kids per court and again based on CDC guidelines and social distancing that 6,000 foot court with four players on it gives us about 82 percent open space so in real terms you know there's almost 5,000 square feet of space that we can deliver a safe lesson in with four people. You did a survey of about 150 of your members. Could you tell us what you learned from that survey? Yeah, it was kind of surprising, you know, and I, and I get, you know, we've, we've been hit with things and, and kind of the drum and grunt gloom of, you know, oh, this is going to be very tough to get going. So this was, again, one of our, well, it's probably our marquee club. And it, it's, there is some biases to this because it was 140 people who um, were in a network of one of our pros. Um, but here, here's the survey, and this is, this is the data. 61% of the people of the 140 said they had played during the um, stay-at-home order. Um, so these are people that were going out and playing, um, pretty much like golfers and things like that. Um, actually, some of our areas in this area in particular – um, there wasn't there wasn't in, um, as tight a restrictions. Eighty nine percent said they're comfortable coming back to tennis with restrictions. So almost ninety percent said they're ready to come back with restrictions or safe protocols. Sixty um, percent that said they're comfortable playing with anyone. Thirty two percent said as long as I know somebody, I, I'm comfortable coming out. So they did say you know they they're. I mean, 60% said they're comfortable with anyone. That's kind of relating to groups. 94% said they're ready for lessons. And then 66% said, this was interesting, I don't mind touching the tennis ball. Okay. So 66% said they don't mind touching the tennis ball. Our protocol is we're not allowing them to touch the tennis ball. So that's going to be an interesting strategy because some of them have been touching the tennis ball amongst each other and now we're going to say you know only the pro touches the ball um 26 said they'll play with only their own tennis balls marked and then the other was why what do you miss most about tennis which i think is really the heart of what what the why of getting people back it's the friends the fitness the health the drills and the social piece of it it's competition was like 52 percent. everything else was like 80 and 90 percent the reasons they wanted to come back so I think when we come back and we've got to modify things um, and maybe, you know, if we uh, one of our protocols is no serving, um, that's OK, because people want to come back for their friends and fitness. One final question that I have for you is how about your team? Have most of them come back? How have you done that? <clears throat> yeah. So um, we have not had anybody say uh, they were not coming back. Of course, it's the blend of what about um, unemployment and the $600 subsidy that uh, the government's giving. It, it's a little bit of a challenge, but at some point you have they're, they're, the pros are going to have to start somewhere. So we're working with that. We're educating. And then um, yesterday we had a staff meeting with some of my pros. There was, uh, I think there was 10 of us. And we got on the court and we really got to see how to run the lesson. And I think everybody went, we can do this. And, and I thought that was really good. The other thing was we asked the pros, I think this is a huge question for all leaders. 
is you got to ask your team where where are they at in the spectrum of um you know as far as where they view their risk tolerance so if i if i'm risk adverse and i'm i'm okay with touching tennis balls and i'm not worried in being close proximity call them a 10 and then at the one or zero level you know you're going to only come out if you have a hazmat outfit i think it's important to know where your staff is in that spectrum because we have to understand that but then we have to also say this is what the protocols are going to be and then um support each other so somebody who's really uh, we'll say risk adverse they don't they don't care they they, they just think you know that it should just go back as normal we have to support that person go look at in order for us to be open based on CDC guidelines, these are the things that need to happen. But it gives us different perspectives of everybody. Um, but again, we're choosing the perspective of safety, CDC guidelines, um, and bringing people back when they feel comfortable. And if we do all of that, you know, we'll have a, a great launch. So my last question, Mike, is since you've opened up four clubs, has that really prepared you for the other six that are about to open up this week, or is it still pretty much the same as the four? No, we're going to do uh, more communication. Uh, pros are going to, uh, my teams are going to contact their people again, just to share we're open. Um, and then also to educate them on what we're doing, but not to sell, not to sell coming out, just informed to, to come out um, if they're comfortable with it. So I think for us, it's going to be, don't just assume everybody uh, opens up their email and reads everything. Because again, like for our tennis program, we have 30 protocols that we're trying to follow. You know, we're listing them on our, on our emails to our members um, just to show that we're serious about what we're doing. Well, Mike, we just want to thank you for a quick update. And we want to wish you well on the six clubs that are opening next week. Uh, so we appreciate your time. Thank you all, and let's grow tennis. Well, before we talk to Gene Mills today, I want to get an update from Jorge Capistani, member of the USTA Tennis Pro Task Force, who I have on the line to see how the program he put together for coaches and teaching pros to recoup lost income is going. Now, the program is called Ultimate Tennis Courses, and basically some of the top online tennis coaches donated courses, I think 37 in all, worth over $4,000 online for pros to sell to their members for only $99, and the pros get to keep 100% of the revenue, and the members get some great, amazing content. Now, this week is the launch week for pros, so let's check in with Jorge. Jorge, how's it going so far, and can you lead us up into this week with where we left off last week? Sure. So, um, what this initiative was was a way to put money back in the pros' hands. A lot of pros, uh, when we surveyed them from our task force, the number one thing, uh, no surprise, that they want to help with was recouping lost teaching income. Um, so, Really, there's not a lot of ways you can do that, right, other than just giving people free money, and that's hard to do. So the idea was to approach the online tennis community, those coaches that sell online courses. I'm one of them. I'm not a big player in that space, but I, I do sell that. And I know all those guys. So I approached them with the idea of, would you guys be willing to donate one to three courses to a bigger cause, another dashboard that would host everybody's courses. So I donated three and all kinds of people donated. We have, we're actually up to 39 courses because two more coaches donated more this week. So the concept was um, all those courses when they were sold separately are about $4,000. And we were gonna let the coaches sell it for just $99 to their members. 
We went a step further and instead of to keep it simple, instead of us collecting the money and then filtering it back, the coaches are literally collecting the money right through their clubs or however they normally collect money. So we had about 463 coaches sign up to promote this. Last week, we spent time just treating them what to do. This week on Monday, we opened up the sales. And as of Thursday today, it's almost noon, we are over $90,000 going to coaches. Now, that means at $99, there's been over 900 um, courses bought. So it's going great. Uh, Some coaches have actually sold 30 courses that's 3000 bucks are put in their pocket. A lot of them is sold a few. So I'm, I'm happy as we go all the way till Friday, May 15 at midnight Pacific time, we'll close it. And I think we're going to be well into the six figures as far as coaches uh, putting money back in their pocket. Yeah. Cause I think like in the last, how this works is the last day is when you usually get all of your sales. Cause people are thinking about, ah, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? And when they find out it's the last day, they jump on it. Right. Yeah, historically, the last day is by far the biggest day. So if things hold true, we can maybe, you know, break 150,000 going to coaches. We'll see. It's a little bit of a guess because I'm not controlling how often the coaches email, but we did give them some scripts to email. So uh, it's going great. I think it's helping a lot of coaches for sure. Well, thank you so much for the update, Jorge, and looking out for all us teaching pros out there. And I'm excited to hear where you end up after this week. And we will let you know the results next week on the TIU podcast. Thanks a lot, Jorge. You're doing a great service to the professionals when they need it and getting them some extra income is just great. We would like to welcome Gene Mills to the podcast. Gene is the director of tennis at the Polo Club Boca Raton and has been there for 34 years. That's quite an achievement and shows you what a great director of tennis she has been all through all that time. She's also the first woman PTR master professional She was president of the board of directors of the PTR. She's been a USDA volunteer for over 50 years. She was president of USDA Florida Tennis. She's been inducted into the Alabama and Florida Tennis Hall of Fames. We would like to welcome to the podcast, Gene Mills. Hey, Doug. Thanks so much, and thank you for this opportunity. Hey, Gene, Coach Mick here, and thanks for joining us. Can we back up a bit and have you take us through the process of what you had experienced during the shutdown and any strategies you had during that time? Sure, I'd I'd be happy to do that. Obviously, all the tennis courts were totally closed. Uh, However, our, our pro shop was closed, but our maintenance staff continued to work throughout this time. And we used this as an opportunity to do those projects maintenance wise that you could more efficiently do when your members are not playing on the courts every day. So the greatest positive we had was really being able to do those projects, painting, touch-up painting, adding clay, changing lines, doing all those things that is difficult to do when members are there. Gene, so what allowed you to open your club back up? It's a great question. It first starts with the county restrictions. Once Palm Beach County opened up tennis courts in the area, then our Board of Governors immediately voted unanimously to open the courts. So we went into what we called our phase one. Obviously our pro shop was closed, so we were doing our court check-in on the outside of the facility uh, with plexiglass partition between us and the, the members and guests. We opened up with singles-only play. 
we opened up with the gates on all the courts, east and west, being always open. The gates on the north and south were locked. So once again, our focus has always been safety and sanitation. Within the courts and under the canopies, we shut off all water fountains. We had each of the members bring their own towel, bring their own water, bring their own drink, uh, bring their own ice and cup. We had limited chairs under the canopies, all six feet apart, marked with an X on the chair so that they couldn't really move the chairs. And the, the main focus has really been to keep them in minimum of six people, six feet apart, as well as to not have any activities that would allow social gatherings. Well, that sounds great. Can you tell us a little bit about the membership mix and what type of country club you are? Yes, um, Doug, we're a private country club, approximately 2,800 members, 1,708 homes. Obviously, it's an equity club, so the members live here. So we really had the advantage containing our membership on the property so that when we really opened back up, uh, we were it was easier to communicate to all of them, you know, what was going on. We have a very active group of tennis players. Our average age is in the low 70s. Uh, we have about 650 tennis members, about 400 of them play on a very regular basis. It's predominantly a retirement community, although, you know, the new wave of the, the younger people and the working people are moving in now. So it's a great mix, men, women, some children, uh, but it's a great mix of people. Well, Gene, I'm assuming since it happened kind of during the winter that you've had a bunch of snowbirds, we might call them, down there. And so did they stay or did they go back? You know, that's a great point. The majority of them within the country stayed in Florida because we do have many members that are from New Jersey, New York, and the northern area. However, our Canadians and our foreigners left immediately due to the travel restrictions. But we found we actually have more play and more players here in the summer than ever before. So, Gene, how did the first day go when you opened up? Well, you know, the first day of anything is always a challenge. And I think the real key is educating your members and your staff to be on board all consistently following the same policies and procedures. We were fortunate that we had emailed rules and regulations of what to do before you play, when you play, after you play. Really the guidelines that the club said were mandatory in order to play tennis. You all know it's only singles, we're only playing singles. We did offer lessons. Uh, we gave lessons to two people on a court, no more. Uh, we provide uh, balls where if they're playing singles, we gave them drills that they could do because most of our play is doubles. We gave them singles drills they could do using the USTA guidelines of, you know, one can of balls, number one, one is number two, and you only pick up the balls that you're playing with. We recommended playing with gloves, although 
I'm going to say probably 50% do play with gloves, 50% didn't. The hoppers that we use on the court when we talked, we put a name on each hopper. And then after the people play, of course, we sterilized the hopper, did not use it for the next, until the next day. So the real key to all of this is sanitation, 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 and keep your distance. Now, after that first day, did you have to make any changes and what's happened since? Yeah, you know, we did make a couple of changes. Uh, we actually made sure that we were booking every other court in the beginning. And then we started booking courts side by side, but staggering the times so that as the players entered on the courts, they weren't interfering with play with the people already hitting. We had a strict guideline. We only uh, allowed them to play for one hour because we found that giving them more time than that, they would sit and start to socialize. So we really changed that. The third thing we changed was we did put a couple of chairs outside the gates so that those people coming in behind the people on the court waited for the people on the court to come off. And then that way you don't have people gathering underneath the canopies. So the most important thing is you, you watch your membership, you watch your level of play, you see what's working, what's not working, and then you make uh, the changes immediately. Gene, would you have changed anything now that you've experienced it from the first week? Would you have done anything differently uh, if you could? You know, I think you can always do things differently. Um, I think our real key was getting the members on board consistently with the rules and regulations. And I found that when we had the staff monitoring it very, very carefully, I would have had more staff out around the courts to go over and, and go over the rules. Because if you make it an education process, you don't want to be a police person. You want to be an educator and say, we're here for your health. We're here for your safety. Here's how you can be healthier and be safer. I think that would have been the biggest change I would have made is to have as many people as possible out there to really go over the rules and regulations so we can get everybody quickly on board opposed to it taking a couple of days. Since you're a country club with older population, most of them, I assume, usually play doubles. When do you think that's coming back? You know what? I wish I had my crystal ball. I don't think anybody really knows because I know in our area, the county continues to monitor the number of new cases, the number of deaths, and they're gradually, you know, opening up. And they're just now opening up. You know, tennis and golf have been open about 10 days now. They're just opening up retail this week at a 25% level. And I think that the answer to that question is really going to be different in the country. And it's going to be based on the county restrictions, once again, based on what's happening in your area with COVID-19. Have any of your vulnerable members decided not to play and have told you that? Actually, no. I've had the reverse. I have had members that haven't played tennis, that can't do other sports, that, you know, don't want to go off the property. 
come back to tennis. And our pros, I put every pro uh, opened up the availability of lesson times with all my pros. My pros and my courts have been solidly booked. Normally, I don't have a lot of play in the afternoon. I've had about uh, 25% of the courts booked in the afternoons. But once again, I attribute that to many of the members did not travel, were not able to travel due to the restrictions, and it really ended up staying in Florida these months. Well, Gene, that's a great story, and it really gives me hope for the future. If everybody could have a club like yours, tennis would be in great shape. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Thank thanks. you, guys. It's been my pleasure. Well, one last question, Gene, before you go, and I just want to say thank you again for joining us. Do you have any closing comments to help prepare those who maybe have similar situations to yours? You know, I, I do have a couple of things. Uh, I think that you have to look at your situation you have to see what can you provide that can help everybody get through a really tough time. Uh, the thing that helped me the most was I had on every court, uh, tennis reopening precautions uh, listed on every court by every rack or water fountain, wherever you've got place that can give them ongoing tips and, it, and it's broken into what you do before you play, what you do when you play, what you do after you play, and here's some drills. And I found by educating the members and trying to be as safe as possible in all aspects that they've appreciated it so much that they want to come out more. They're playing more tennis. They're now taking lessons, even they, though they might be hitting lessons. But you can't over-communicate enough and you can't sanitize enough. So if you just focus on those two things, you're a step ahead of the game. Well, thank you, Gene. And hopefully we'll have a chance to check in with you in a couple of weeks to see how things are going. I look forward to that. Thank you all. Good luck. Everybody be safe and healthy. Well, before we call on an episode, Doug, is there anything you wish to add or any advice you have for clubs who are looking to open up? Because I'm sure you deal with a lot of these clubs right now who are trying to open up and giving them some advice. Mick, the advice I'd like to give everybody is your situation is going to be different. It's really what makes your members or the people coming back feel safe. And it's not what you think is safe is what they think is safe. And you're going to have different parts of your membership. But I believe people are antsy to get back to tennis. I believe people are going to start tennis that have never played before, especially outdoors for a while. And Gene's story is just a wonderful story of they're busier than they've ever been in May. And that's a great tennis story. So tennis is going to come roaring back and we have to have a little bit of patience, but our sport will grow. That makes a lot of sense, Doug. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. We want to thank you for listening. And I'd like to thank my partner, Doug Cash of Cashflow Tennis and our special guest, Mike Woody, and to Jean Mills, Director of Tennis at Polo Club Boca Raton for insight during her reopening. We also want to give special thanks to Kurt Camperman for updating us on the USTA's $4 million initiative to help teaching pros recover from this crisis. Don't forget that after October 15th, if you're a teaching pro, and have met all the requirements, you can apply for the Teaching Professional Recovery Assistance through the PTR or the USPTA. Remember, everything you need to know about the support and assistance currently provided or now in development can be found on the website tennisindustryunited.com. I'm Chris Michalowski. 
And I'm Doug Cash. Until next time, keep your head up, be safe, and stay well. And remember, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm.